Moses is recapping some of the years that's gone by, some of the things that has happened as he begins to open the book of Deuteronomy. And begins like this, he starts with a failure, and as we've said before in the scriptures, failures as well as successes are recorded, and they all so that we can uh, have confidence in it all, to know that God is with us in failures as well as everything else. So it starts this way, these be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea between Paran and Tophel and Laban, Hazaroth and Dizahab. There are eleven days' journey from Harab by the way of the Mount Seir into Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the fortieth year, eleventh month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandments unto them. After he had slain Sihon, the king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt in Ashtaroth of Edri, on this side Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spake unto us in Herob, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn ye and take your journey. Go to the mount of the Amorites, and to all the places nigh there and to in the plain and the hills and the vale, in the south and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, to the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you, Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. I would like to talk to us a little while tonight on the subject that you have dwelt long enough in this mount. Or in our language, you can't stay here. Amen? There are places that the Lord leads us and allows us to dwell for a while. And then there's a signal from him that it's time to go. Recapping that, the speaker is Moses. He was 120 years old and his eyes was not dim nor his natural force abated. He was strong as he ever was. And he speaks with the authority of a prophet, with the affection of a father, and with the earnestness and with the urgency of a dying man. He had suffered much to bring those people that God had placed under him. He had suffered much to bring them where they was at. And uh, they had enjoyed some good things there. That was the speaker. The, mo the hearers was all Israel. A new generation had sprung up from the ones which received the law at Sinai. And because of that, new converts and newcomers need teaching. And so Moses is recapping to these new ones everything that the old ones had already known. And the subject, of course, was like it had been for some 40 years, all the land that God had given him in commandments unto them. Now this doesn't refer to new commandments, but to the old commandments which they had heard from the beginning. We're living in a day and hour where people are craving new things, so to speak. But the preacher's function is not necessarily to bring forth new things, but to remind us always of truth that do not change. And the Bible is filled with truths that do not change. Our function is to give line upon line and precept upon precept until there becomes a new awakening in the hearts to loyal obedience to the given word of God and the challenge that God has given each and every one of us. 
Now the time was in the 40th year in the 11th month. It was an important time because this generation was about to go into the promised land. Now to go in and take something that God has given us, told us was ours, of course, there are always a fight that is there. We feel like that if it's time to go and God has challenged us to go, we feel like then the land lay before us and there's no problems. But that's not so. And God tells us in this, always when God gives us a promise and says something is ours, he tells us that he's going to fight with us, but he's not going to do all the fighting. It's up to us to be obedient unto him. So this call for renewed dedication on the hearts of individuals. How many of you are aware that there needs to be a reawakening and a new dedication in hearts of God's people, in my heart and in your heart, to realize the great momentous task that is before us, the greatness of the challenge of God, the things God said was ours if we could believe him and get beyond the place that he's brought us thus far. Moses wasn't saying where they was at had always been wrong. It is a place that God placed them there for a reason. But he was saying, you can't stay here now. There comes a time when there must be a movement. And so in order to move, individuals have to have renewed dedication. It's scary out there. It's more comfortable to sit where you know things are and the way things are. And to move out always has been and always will be. It, it is a scary thing and it takes faith to do that. So it takes renewed dedication. Without renewing our dedication to God, without really getting down and talking to God one-on-one, -on -one, it is impossible for us to accept the newness of what God wants. And uh, this was a time to recall the wasted years. Anytime we start recalling wasted years in our life, it proves an incentive to be obedient in the future. How many of you can look back over years where you were disobedient and these years were wasted? You knew they were wasted. You knew that there's things you could have been doing. So you look back over those wasted years, things, uh, years that were not productive, and you realize you don't want those years anymore, so they're an insanity. You realize years are wasted because of disobedience or incomplete obedience to God, and that proves an incentive to be obedient to God in the future. And we always need God's commandments in our memories and in our hearts when we're meeting a formidable foe, the which would put the loyalty uh, to God and our fellow man to a test. And Moses' people was about ready to do that, and I would like to remind us tonight that as we received the challenge from the Lord, we have already met and will continue to meet a very formidable foe, a foe that is entrenched in hearts and lives, a foe that's entrenched in our city and in our neighboring surrounding communities. He's entrenched there. He's been there a long time. He does not want to be disturbed so, it's disturbed, so it's going to take some faith, some obedience, some realization, and some rededication to God to be able to claim what God said was ours. Now, I would like to have what God says was ours. I think the devil is dwelling on God's territory. I don't believe it's his. I heard a lot of people say, well, go in and take the devil's territory. Well, I don't believe it's his. I believe it belongs to God. I think he's there by default. Default of the church and default of, of the church people. Now, this is something we need to look at, and it's not put in there to fill space. It says, There are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. 
In other words, that is placed in there as an example that we might look back at the might-have-beens of life. The things that could have been had they uh, been solid enough and dedicated enough at that time to their God and to whom God had sent to lead them out from Egypt and into the promised land. You see, God's promise was not only to lead them out of Egypt, but God's promise was to lead them to the promised land. You see, and sometimes we only accept the one portion of what God does, leading us out of Egypt or this Egypt-like world, but He wants to give us the promised land, things that are there. So this is inserted to uh, suggest a lesson of the results of disobedience. I think we ought to look at it a little while. Eleven days' journey... Yet 40 years still found them in the wilderness. I realize that could be used as an allegory, and it needs to be for 11 days' journey, things that are short in obedience to God, and still finds the church, so to speak, in the wilderness. Still finds us not being able to know exactly or maybe care exactly what God wants out of our life. And from this one scripture we learn that sin turns short ways into long ways. That sin brings the transgressor needless sorrow and needless trouble. And that sin uh, fills lives with regrets, fruitless regrets. And sin delays the fulfillment of God's promise. How many of you ever thought about that? God's promises, we know He said it. And yet we look for them, we reach for them, we cry for them, and yet they are not available. We have to ask ourselves the question, why? Is God promising us something that he don't intend to deliver? Has he told us that we can have something and then withdrew it from us as we claim it? I think it's thousand times no simply because sin someplace, inabilities to grasp what God wants out of our life, has delayed, not canceled, but delayed the fulfillment of God's promise and plans in our life. Calls for a searching on our life. Calls for a searching of individual lives and it makes us realize that the path of obedience is in the end the shortest and it's the easiest and it's the safest and it's the happiest way to travel. It may not look like it at the time. It might look like it's filled with snares and might look like it's, it's narrow and the Bible says the way is straight and narrow and few there be that find it but with the guiding hand of God we'll always find it is the happiest way bending our will to God's will and he's going to work it out better than we ever could and it's the shortest way to God's promises and it in the end is the best way and after reminding them of all this and inserting that you notice the second verse is in parentheses there and it's there for a reason so we could see and understand that he wants us to notice that that they could have been in 11 days into the promised land but something happened in our life. So Moses gives a summons to advance. In other words, he's telling them, Now look, you've been here long enough. You can't stay on this mountain. You have dwelt long enough in this mount. In other words, it's time for you to go. And he reminds the Israelites how God had summoned them to march on Canaan. In other words, he reminds them of a long-forgotten promise that God made them and a long-forgotten thing that they had, had not as yet done. Forty years still had not claimed what God said was theirs. I looked at that and I thought, God, I think sometimes in the Old Testament, maybe you speak to us more in that uh, through the example of Israel than you do in any other part of the Bible. 
when you begin to show us some of the ways in which God's chosen, which was Israel, had all the promises in this world and all the abilities and saw the miracles of God upon it, and yet when it come to receiving, stood at the edge of the promised land, turned their backs on God, and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. This verse illustrates the church's danger also of abiding at the mount too long, of settling down in the state of apathy or simple receptivity or just receiving. I think we need to take note of that, and we're talking about the church, the church, uh, so we have to bring it down to our assembly. Sometimes we find a good place of receiving where things are comfortable in a sense. Uh, we're comfortable with everything that's surrounding us, and we're in a state of receiving and a state of apathy. And right in the midst of that, when it looked like that we was reached a comfortable state in, in the life of Israel, it's met with a call to action. In other words, he's saying, now you're comfortable here, and I know you are, <laughs> and uh, I realize that, and you still have the promises, and I still hear you talking in your tents that you're going to go into Canaan, but you never get there. I mean, you never make any effort to get there. Now, I'm paraphrasing this because there was talk all the time they wandered in the wilderness that God led us out of Egypt to get us, give us the promised land, which was Canaan. And that never died. It was passed on from the older generation to the newer generation. And now at the foot of the mount, they're still talking about the time they're going to go into Canaan. And Moses is telling them, now, you've got to take your journey. In other words, it's time to quit talking. You've talked long enough. You've sat around this mountain long enough. And it's time for you to go. But before we get into that, you got to notice Israel's stay at the mountain was good while it lasted and it was necessary. There's always a necessary time to sit around uh, the mount uh, where God dwells and sit around and reminisce over the things that are happening and begin to think about the things that God has promised you. Now, it was good for one reason. That nation enjoyed a season of rest. After all of its wanderings there, it was enjoying a time of rest. It ratified its covenant with God again. In other words, it got back to God and said, I know you made a covenant with us, and now we're going to make that same covenant with you. And it was there that they received the law, the law that was going to enrich them when they entered into the promised land. And it was there that they learned how to construct a sanctuary, and it was there that they were equipped and organized. So you see, it was a necessity. It was a place where they really needed to be. And uh, there has to be periods of getting, has to be periods of learning, has to be periods of consulting for one's own edification. And without these things, things would go hard for us in our battle of life. But in the midst of all of that, there is a danger, and was then, and there is now, of Israel's stay at the mount might last too long. In other words, they was at rest and peace with God. He wasn't angry at them hardly anymore. They was receiving the law and instructions and edifying one another and things was going real good for them. Their enemies uh, uh, was not rising up against them and they were sitting at peace and they knew that immediately should they leave there, they was in for a battle whenever they crossed the, the River Jordan across the River Jordan into the Promised Land. They knew that. And so when you know, when everything is peaceful and when there's not much demanding out of you, 
And when everything is going pretty fair, and you know, and you're at peace with God seemingly, and you know the next movement is going to thrust you into a battle, then it's pretty hard sometimes to leave where you're at. Even though where you're at is a necessity. Where the church has been, where the church is perhaps now, has uh, been a good consequence. Been times of getting, of learning, consulting for our own education, and all of these things. But sometimes with us, like Israel, we can set too long, lose the earnestness of the presence of God, uh, lose the motivation that God had given us, lose the zeal, desire, and determination which God said was ours, and set in receptivity, coming to God's house only to be a receiver, never to be a giver. Coming to God's house only to receive a blessing, never to be enhanced and enriched in God to prepare us for the battle that is before us. And there was a danger of Israel at that time, and that's why Moses stood and said, Now then, You've dwelt long enough in this mountain. And it's the same way with the church. When she consecrates her attention to exclusively on her own spiritual improvements and forgets her mission to the world, it's in trouble. And might I say, for the most part, the church world is in trouble today. It has looked around and sought its own improvements, sought its own desires, building its own thing, and has forgotten that her mission in the world it's not to come and receive, but to come and receive that we might be able to give to a world that don't know anything about where to receive these things. And so Israel had, in a sense, lost her mission. She had forgotten that she was supposed to go to the promised land, or at least she wasn't interested in going. And the church seemingly has lost its mission too, seeking its own spiritual improvements, forgets its mission to the world. And we have to remember that we get to learn only that we may apply and act. Let me say that again. We get and learn only that we may apply and act. In other words, what we learn from God and what we get from God is given us to apply to our lives and put action in our lives that we might reach other individuals. It's not just to make us feel good. And there is a danger of religion becoming only something to enjoy. Now that might startle you, but there is a danger in that. And that danger has encompassed the church world almost as a whole. Let me quote some of the things that said, Well, did you enjoy the service tonight? Not very much, I didn't. I didn't enjoy it very much. Well, why did we go there? To get something just to enjoy. Our religion dictated to us that we had to get something we could enjoy or it wasn't worthwhile. Some of the best things God gives us are not enjoyable things. They're hurting things until we realize it's for our good. But religion has become something just to enjoy. It has become only that. And we recline in the luxury of our communion with God and our communion with fellow man. We recline in a restful fellowship with God and conversing with fellow believers in church ordinances. And we think how sweet it is if this could just always be the case. But you forget one thing. We're wrong. It's not good for us. And God help us, it's not good for us to always be receiving from God and never be giving for God. It is a dangerous thing, and I might say this is why the church world is in trouble. And I'm saying the church world, for the most part, is in trouble. 
Religion is declining. Eastern cults and religion is coming in and focusing its attention and it's finding it some converts simply because the church has enjoyed itself where it's at. Seeming oblivious to whether anybody else is dying or not, ears deaf to the cry of the lonely, of the hunger, of the disturbed, and of the lost. Not realizing that we have the answer to that. Only we. We're the only, only thing that lives and works in this world that can present God. But we're wrong when we just stay receiving. Receiving. You know, we're kind of like that little bird <laughs> that uh, gets in the nest. And it just opens its mouth wide open and it just says, feed me. Feed me. <laughs> Come on, drop a worm in there. i got to have, have me something to eat. And that's a little bird. But we ought to get beyond the, the little bird effort. We ought to get to the place where, where eating becomes our livelihood. We have to always eat. But we eat to receive strength that we might give it to someone else and increase God in our everyday life. So religion, salvation, whatever you want to call it, apart from active usage, soon loses its vitality. If we don't use what God has given us, the zeal and the burning desire and determination that was ours when God first salvaged our life from the depths of sin and we felt that heavy weight and load of sin lifted from us and He cleaned us and filled us with the Holy Ghost. The vitality that we receive from that, if not used and shared, soon loses all that it ever had. I think we need to check our lives tonight individually and ask ourselves, uh, do we have the vim, vitality? Do we have the zeal, the determination to reach people that we had when God first rescued us? I think if we asked ourselves that question, we'd probably get a resounding, sickling no. And realizing that is the case, then we need to recognize that we have not actively used that which God has given us. And that's what brings us into the doldrums. That's what gives us the ho-hum. That's what gives us the don't cares. It's simply because sometimes we're just overfed and underworked. Amen? We just come and, and we gain weight and we eat off of God's Word. That is, if we want to. If we don't want to, we don't. And uh, it soon loses the vitality that it has. And friend, without vitality, zeal, desire, and determination, you can't impress anybody. I mean, if your religion don't have some vibrancy about it, if you're not excited about God and excited about God's church and excited about your church and excited about what's going on in your church and in your life, if you're not excited about that, you can't impress anybody else about it. We often try that. And when people see that we're not interested in our church, enough to attend it, enough to support it, and all these things, when he sees we're not interested that much in it, What's the use of trying to enter somebody else in it? You see, they can quickly detect immediately whether you are really interested in it or not. And when this happens, religion disintegrates into a sickly, useless religiosity. Now that might be a, a word that I made up, but it's religiosity just the same. And it is sickening. There's nothing any more sickening than a Christian that has lost their vitality. That a Christian that has lost their vim and vigor and desire to reach a soul. That a Christian that has lost their, their, their desire to meet God in communion and prayer. In fasting and prayer. There's nothing any more sickening as far as God is concerned than that. 
He says it in the Bible. I wish you were cold or hot because you are lukewarm. I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, that word actually was I'll vomit you out of my mouth. You see, in Eastern customs, and we've said this before and it's proven true because uh, we have uh, been with those people in Eastern customs, they can't handle anything lukewarm. You give them a drink that is hot, they can stomach it. You give them a drink that is cold, they can stomach it. But you give them a, a lukewarm drink and they'll almost vomit every time. They can't stand it. And Jesus was writing in language that they could understand, or John was, under the direction of Jesus, in language they could understand. And saying, don't present me with that stuff. It's going to make me sick. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to make him sick. I want to recapture. That's why rededication is necessary. That's why I find it almost uh, impossible to, to find God and, and have a dedication to Him except a rededication of my life. I'm meeting God someplace almost every day and every hour in different, different areas and different ways asking God to help me have a rededication of His life. It's the only way I can go on and it's the only way you can go on. There has to be a rededication. And let's say that again. Religion, apart from active usage, soon loses its vitality, disintegrates into a sickly, useless religiosity. And there have been many, many Christians who have been and who are now who dwelt long enough in this mountain, long enough in the state of receiving, long enough in the state of just getting, God is saying it's time for you now to realize there's a promised land out there. There's cities that are walled and high that has kept people inside. There's countries that need, need to be taken. There's victories that need to be won. And you have dwelt long enough in this mountain, in this state of receiving. Let's connect verse 6 with verse 8, I believe it is. And it's going to read like this. You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess it. Let's look at that again. Connect them. Behold, or you have dwelt long enough in this mountain. In other words, Moses is saying, Now look, I'm not just sending you out someplace just to do something. There's a reason. Now he said, I've set the land before you. In other words, he's saying very plainly to Moses, and I think he's saying to us, that the land out there I have already given to you. I've set it before you, and I want you to go in and possess it. You see, even if God had given it to them, they have to go in and take charge of it. Amen? If somebody gives you an automobile, it does you no good unless you go and take possession of that automobile, all right? If somebody gives you a house, that house is of no value to you, it's, although it's yours, but you have to go in and take possession of that. And that's what God is saying, the land is yours, I've given it to you, but you've got to go in and take possession of what I've given you. Otherwise than that, it still remains in control of those that have it. And that's the same way it is with the church. God has looked out at the church and said, I've given you the world. In other words, what did he say? He said, he said, the world is out there. That's the ground. And the seed is the word of God. I've given you all of that to sow the seed in. I want you to go in and take charge of it. I want you to at least sow some seed. But when you look at that place, why wouldn't they want to stay there? And why, why are we so bound to determine to stay in our present condition in our life? 
Well, they found Sinai a place of comfort, a place of security. In other words, nothing was demanded of them there. I mean, they were just there. They were God's children. They lived the best life they possibly could. And they were comfortable. And besides that, it was a high privilege. They were God's people. They were sitting right under the mouth of God. And, and it was a high privilege. And they were delivered from bondage, taken out of Egypt. They didn't have to make bricks anymore. And they were safe from the enemies. Pharaoh's church and horsemen were at the bottom of the sea. They had enough to eat and drink. And what a place of privilege it was. But just in that hour of comfort, and that hour of security came the divine voice of God through his leader Moses said you have dwelt long enough in this mountain turn ye and go the mountain is a place of vision you stand on that mountain top and you visualize and you see what is actually yours but the plain is a place of achievement that's where you go to achieve it's one thing to be a hearer of the word of God and it's another thing to be a doer of God's word it's a great thing to visualize. You have to have a vision. The Bible says without a vision people perish. And it's a great thing to visualize and have a vision. But it's a higher and greater thing to put those vision into deeds and actions. And say, God, I can see it. I can visualize it. I know that it's out there. And then we begin to put our words into action and into deeds. And the first thing you know, that which we saw out yonder then has become what we see right here. We have brought it into being. The mountain is a place of security. The plain is a place of struggle. Anytime you look and the Bible says something about the plains, you'll always find that is a place of struggle. The mountains always is a place of security where uh, the mountains of God surround them. So the plain is a place of struggle. So what was Moses saying? He was saying, come out from the security and go into the plain where you're going to struggle and fight for a land that I have given you. When the Israelites escaped Pharaoh's chariots and horsemen, they enjoyed freedom for danger, from danger for approximately one year. And in that moment of peace came the voice of God that again says, you have dwelt long enough in this mountain. Turn ye and go, which is a message... You never find the sword in Moses' hand. He would, if God would have allowed it, share his leadership and his responsibilities with anybody that so wanted. Moses did not like a struggle. He was forced into it a lot of times. And you notice about every time he was forced into that, it was always God that did the fighting for him. Amen? Now, Moses was a good administrator. He was a good organizer. But always, every time anything happened, God always came to his rescue. God did everything. God opened the Red Sea. God uh, changed Pharaoh's mind and hardened his heart. And God then put a, a, a wall or, or a fire and, uh, and it put a cloud in between them. And then it was God that opened the Red Sea. And then it was God that gave them water in the wilderness. 
And it was God that changed the bitter waters of Merah into waters they could drink. It was God that supplied them uh, manna from heaven. It was God that when they murmured, uh, supplied them quail and, and gave them meat to drink. It was God that intervened when Korah came up and demanded part of the leadership. In other words, every time there was a fight, it was God that was doing the fighting. Now God was saying this, now then, you should be warriors now. You should be able with the power that I have given you, you should be able to fight a little bit yourself. And so God was choosing a different type of a leadership. Always there Moses saw the glory of God in the burning bush. He saw the finger of God in the writings by the laws and principles. But Joshua's of another mold. He wasn't that type of a man. He never was. Even whenever they sent him out to spy, he came back and said, we can do it. He came back with a word, said, we can go into it right now. The others said, no, they're too big. But Joshua with Caleb said, we are able to do it. He was a commander, a leader, a fighter in all of their wonderings there. In there, he was a fighter and a commander. He saw the value of the chain of command and insisted that the chain of command be honored always. To him, a vision of a divine or almighty God came in the figure of an armed man standing outside the walls of Jericho. In other words, God visited him, put a sword in his hand, and challenged him to lead the children of Israel across there and challenge Jericho and all the others and take the land. And Joshua immediately took up the sword and said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he began immediately, when you read Joshua, the first chapter, immediately he began to give orders as to how it was to be done. Now I want you to notice some of the things that's not written in the Bible, but it had to take place. Nobody argued with him or murmured with him like they did with Moses. They knew better. Amen? All you've got to do is search it out. Joshua laid down the law as to how they was going to cross, as to when they was going to cross. And he defied anybody to do anything any different. You see, when he chose to cross there, Jordan was overflowing in its banks. Had that been Moses, they might have murmured and said, we're going to have to wait till Jordan goes down a little bit. But they never uttered a word. Because God had placed a different mold and a different type of leadership to lead them and make them possessors of the land. Now let me tell you something, saints of God. God is getting tired of the weak-kneed, namby-pamby type of leadership that has insisted they find themselves in the pulpit and murmuring saints of God. He wants individuals that will take the challenge, that will take the order, and put their sword in their hand and say it has to be done this way. And if it's not done this way, it can't be done at all. And there's a change that's coming over the land. Amen? There's a change that's coming in the churches. There's a ministry on the backside of the desert that's waiting for their time to come where God has called them and met them and told them, I've given you this responsibility. I'm not going to pave the way for you all the time. I'm going to be there at all times, but I'm not going to pave the way for you. It's not going to be easy. Now, Joshua didn't make any excuses. You notice when God told Moses to go, Moses said, oh, I, I, I can't even talk. You see, he was an humble man, and uh, that was good, but he had learned his administrative lessons uh, from Pharaoh's court, and God knew that. He placed him there for that. And the type of leadership that was needed, because God was going to have to prove to these slaves that they could be soldiers. Amen? What Moses led out was a bunch of slaves that was used to kind of doing this, that, or something else. What Joshua took over was soldiers, individuals that had underwent hardships. 
individuals that knew what they was doing. So Moses, Moses hesitated. And God had to send him Aaron, which is always a thorn in his side, when he went there. But Joshua didn't hesitate or he didn't make any excuses when the leadership was thrust upon him. He just simply said, I realize somebody's got to do it. God has called me to do it. And so uh, I'm going to do it. The time for peace and meditation and the vision had passed. It was time to do it. You know, there is in the movie-making industry something that says lights, camera, action. And unless you get past that lights and camera, you're never going to have a movie film made. There has to be action. There has to be preparation. There has to be lights. There has to be camera. But the minute they say action, then action begins. And that's what God is saying. Lights, camera. It's time to do something. God some way challenged our lives. Challenge your heart. Let us realize it's time to get up from this thing. And Joshua realized that the time for action had come and Joshua knew it. He knew that he couldn't afford to mess around there in the mountain any longer or they was going to lose every promise that God had ever given them. This called for Joshua's type of leadership and it still calls for Joshua's type of leadership to accept the challenge, to put out the way that it is supposed to be and to believe that people are going to be dedicated enough to God and rededicated enough to God and tired of, of letting the devil take, uh, it, take in their families. Uh, I said it before, I, I think it's time that God people some way realize that we don't have to let the devil walk in our front door and afflict our family and Brother Colin take charge of our finances like he does with a lot of us. I think it's about time that we's taking charge of our own life through the power of God and suggesting to the devil and giving him notice that we refuse to allow him to cause confusion in our lives anymore. God said it's your land. If you want it, you have to take it. And God has given us our life spiritually and said, if you want it, it's there. And not only has he given us our life, but he's given us life of others. He's pointed out, and I know he said that to other churches, and I think, and a lot of people laugh when I say that with just a half a dozen or a dozen people, but I think that God has given the city of Meridian to his people. I think he said it's ours if we want it. But we have to take it. It's not going to be the path to our door. Jericho didn't come to the edge of Jordan. Joshua took his troops to Jericho. Ai didn't come there. The land didn't come to Jordan. They went where it was at, where the battle was at, and they fought it. They won every battle unless sin was found in there and then they lost. And that's still the same subject we're on. Every battle is ours unless God finds sin in our midst and then we lose. You wonder why sometimes that we win some battles and we're just right on top of the mountain and we think everybody, everything's just going to fall before us and the very next great battle comes and we're in disarray like Israel was at Ai and disarray and running. We have uh, over, uh, overpowered, we had more troops so to speak than the enemy out there and still they set us in disarray because sin was found in there just aching but that was enough. That's why it's important for unity to be among God's people. That's why it's important for us to dig out every root of bitterness and every sin that does so easily beset us and realize that we're not in this thing alone. Salvation, of course, was a personal thing. We work out our own salvation, but God has placed us in a body, and what we do and how we feel affects the other parts of the body. You get infection on one part of the body, it pretty soon spreads on and all. If I get a headache, I hurt all over. <laughs> 
Amen. If, my, if I stump my toe, it hurts plumb up here to my head. And the body of Christ needs to be that sensitive. I think sometimes we're paralyzed, don't you? I think sometimes we don't even feel the hurt. And then when we, maybe one stumps his toe and it feels the hurt, but the pain sensors just don't register it up here. Nobody else seems to feel it. Nobody else seems to be aware of it. And the Bible challenges us to, as to the unity that we're in when this is the case. And challenges us to the effect uh, that our lives is going to have. So I'm going to have to say in trying to close tonight that uh, God has placed before us the promised land. He said it was ours, spiritually speaking. And I'm going to have to say, even as Moses now, uh, we've dwelt long enough in just getting, in just enjoying. And if something is not enjoyable to us and it don't suit our palate or our taste, uh, while we go out disgruntled, disenchanted, uh, gossiping and backbiting and and uh, displeasure and yeah I'll get the pooch mouth <laughs> over some little things and this ought not to be I think Paul said saints this ought not to be this ought not to be at all and if we're going to receive what God has said was ours then we're going to have to recognize it has to come directly from the unity of the body of Christ that God has set together we cannot ever hope to accomplish those things which God said we could accomplish in disarray we cannot do it. Now we have some things tonight and I wonder if you would want to take the children back there. Okay. We have some things tonight that we would like to discuss. Don't get louder than I am. Uh, first the announcement to what is this? Uh, some things for a lady in the mid-30s and for a couple in the 40s, we need uh, goods, canned meat, vegetables, fruits, and what have you. Uh, do we bring that here to the church? Okay. Right, okay. All righty. It's needy families, okay. Uh, need uh, canned meat, uh, canned vegetables, and canned fruit. This is just, uh, yeah, it's all all in cans. That's what that's what you want. Okay. First off, our Christmas program is going to be Thursday night, December the 22nd, 7 o'clock. We're expecting it to turn out good. Now, for those that were not here, if there anyone was not here, uh, special services we had announced to hold a little bit, but we found out on December 27, 28, and 29, uh, things haven't worked out at all because we can't be real sure whether... Uh, they're going to be here or not, so we will not plan on those. So you can delete those from the calendar. Uh, another thing, uh, Brother Gene and I went to the city council meeting, and uh, our uh, hearing on the purchase of the property is going to be January the 17th at 6.40 p.m. Everybody that can needs to be there. Uh, we're not sure 
how much or if any opposition we know that two are, are not interested in us being there but whether they will show up or not and and show their their objections i don't know so that's going to be january the 17th at 6:40. now that kind of puts us on hold uh, a little bit and uh, also uh brother bill and uh, myself and Joyce, Sister Bonnie and Grace went and looked at the church furniture that we was talking about where there's 20 12-foot pews and three choir benches, a pulpit, two altar benches, two small uh, ministers' uh, pews, two flower stands, one communion table, and uh, they said they would not let take less than $5,000. Uh, I'm not sure whether they'll even be there after we find out whether we can build or not. We certainly don't want to do anything about that, but we should maybe try to decide or pray about whether we would want to tell him we are interested if they're not sold before this time, should we get a property. It uh, looks to me like now the pews, the color, of course, leaves a little bit to be desired, but we make it can work on that, and they need to be clean, but they're solid and, and they're pretty. You can ask anybody that went, and if you want to go anytime, why, well, I can give you directions, or we can go and, and look at it. The man, the pastor lives right there by the church, and uh, like I said, maybe we need to pray about that and talk it over and see if we think that would be a good deal. I don't know what pews sell for now. But I do know that back in uh, when we were building in the 70s, they sold for around three, four hundred dollars, and I'm sure they're a whole lot more than that now. They probably doubled or tripled uh, since that time. So, like I said, maybe we need to pray about that and and discuss it and and try to uh, find out if I should call him and tell him that we are interested, but uh, we can't make any decision until we find out whether we can get property or not. Now then, it has always been my experience that uh, any time people are excited and interested in doing something, and now this is over years of experience, so you're going to see my concern, that uh, any time anybody was excited about something and interested in doing something, the treasure always went up. And any time they was not really concerned about it or didn't want to do it, the treasury went down. And so you can see my concern and why I really call this meeting because we really need as a church to realize what is going on as a group and uh, find out what is happening. Our expenses have exceeded our income. Now this is the four months I've been here. And of course I know people say, well, we planned on it doing, but we didn't plan on it this much now. And uh, what I'm trying to say is this, someplace, somewhere, somebody has to be unhappy because if they're not unhappy their uh, income would at least stay the same we haven't lost anybody that I know of and uh, the uh, uh, monthly income approximately when I came was $2,329 and now then it's $2,087 a decrease of $242 a month that's a decrease and uh, our expenses have exceeded our income by the sum of $3,380 over a four-month period, which is a debit of $845 a month. And our expenses have doubled, and there has been no increase in attendance. And last month was our lowest month at a little over $1,500. Now, our intention tonight is to try to find out. We'll open it for 
discussion if there is any and later on we have something here that we want you to take and mark yes or no on that because we are endeavoring trying working to do something that's going to take the cooperation of every one of us there's not a one of us here that is not needed all right and i have over the past four months had two or three threatened to quit you see, well, you see, you can't have this. I mean, just if we make up our minds, and I think this was made before, commitments made before, and, and we have to, have to recommit. We're going to have to find out where we're at and why we're doing, because what, like I said, over years of experience, what this tells me, uh, there's dissatisfaction someplace. Because that's the only time that people withdraw. You see, people don't talk with their mouth, they talk with their billfold. And I feel like I've, I haven't had anybody to say anything against it, but I have to look at reality. You need to look at reality. And I feel like people are saying, I'm not satisfied, I'm dissatisfied. I don't know where you're dissatisfied at. If you're dissatisfied with me, the same road I took here, I can leave. It's that, it's that simple. Because I've said it before, you seem to have gotten along better, at least financially, before I came than you have since I've been here. Now, you've got to stand in my place and see how that looks to me, especially over the years of experience that says if people are excited, if they're in unity, if they want to do something, they'll suffer. I mean, uh, they, they'll suffer and, and give more. And if they're not interested in it, and something is, is that they don't want, then they don't give. And your treasury suffers. So the treasury talks, money talks. It always has and it always will. Now, I don't know whether this is indicative of anything or not, but your tithes and your offerings belong to your church. If you want to give anything anyplace else, that should be extra. Now, I've got uh, proof of that. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all your tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. In other words, where you come and worship and you get your food, that is where your tithes belong. And there's nothing against giving to somebody else, but don't do it out of that which belongs to your church unto the house of God that you attend. All right? Now, like I said, I don't know if that's indicative, but it has been in places we've been. We've had individuals at the place that we just left was sending their tithes to Jimmy Swagger. And then their heart was just broken <laughs> whenever what happened uh, happened. And uh, coming crying, and, and of course my heart bleeds for somebody that's been deluded. Uh, it does. I don't get any enjoyment out of that. But I sat down and talked to him, and I said, let me ask you a question. When you get sick, is Brother Jimmy Swaggart going to come and visit you in the hospital? When you get lonely, is Brother Jimmy Swaggart going to listen to you over the telephone? When one of your children dies or somebody dies is Brother Jimmy Swaggart going to come and, and preach his funeral and you know he's not it's the man that labors among you and lives among you he's concerned about you sees you every day knows your ins and outs and still loves you and I've got to say this with all the love of God in my heart I've never been to a place with the people that I loved any dearly and I do you God placed that in there we could never have come so I want you to know that off, off the bat. 
But I do think, and the reason for this is we feel like that we need to get shoulder, we need to find out what, what's wrong, truthfully. Now, also, we've talked to the board, and this has been a problem with me for quite some time because I have felt like, I know it was well-intentioned, and I appreciate what you have done because you, you were giving, but I've, I felt like all the time that it, that, that it wasn't, uh, wasn't scriptural. And uh, talking to the board and and uh, our missionary monies then is no longer going to come out of our church tithes and our offerings beginning in January. In other words, our missionary giving ha should be always. See, there again, the scripture says, bring all your tithes into the storehouse that they might have meat in mine house. Anything over that. If you want, just like a building fund, you don't take your tithes and your offerings and put it in the building fund. Anytime there's a building fund and you're giving in a building fund, you give it over and above your time. The same way with missionaries. In order to be missionary-minded and really get a burden for missionaries and the missionaries' work, you give over and above your tithes and your offerings that go into your local church. Now, this is the only way that God can bless us in a missionary program because we're actually taking things out of his house and transferring it into somebody else's house. And he explicitly tells us that tithes and offerings belong to the storehouse, which is your local church, where, where you bring it all in, and, and it, the tithes and offerings went into the uh, synagogue or the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and it paid for all the functions of the church. Anything outside of that, New Testament church operated the same way, anytime outside of that. Now, if you want your missionary given to go to a certain place, then when you write a check for your missionary giving, you mark on your check who you want that to go to. And Sister Marcy will see that, that it gets there. We did this not only because I felt like it, according to the Bible, it was unscriptural, but I felt like that we ourselves, our own individual storehouse, was being depleted. <laughs> and uh, we need to do something about it. So we've tried our best to do that. Also, the church ad has been canceled. That we might be able to at least keep within uh, uh, looking distance uh, of where we're at and might be able to continue on uh, just a little bit longer. Now, like I said, we're facing something. We're, we've been talking about building. I thought our commitments was already made. I, I don't know. Maybe people don't speak when they should. But uh, anytime it's open, it's going to be open in a few minutes. I, I want your... Uh, send, I, want, I want you to express your desires, and later on, we're going to pass out these envelopes, and it's got some yes and no's in there, and, and whatever you mark, that, that's going to be your commitment. Now, commitment's a little bit like a vow. We make a commitment, we keep it. And if we feel like that we want to be part of this church and we want to build, why, then we're going to have to realize that there are certain commitments that we have made. And uh, I thought all of this ought to be brought to your attention, that it is literally impossible for me to continue or you do you do what you want to with the church money's continually going down you, you don't exist we're not the united states government we can't create our own money whenever we go into deficit and, and just decide that uh, that we're just going to operate on another another deficit we can't do that and so some way we're going to have to find out what's happening so I'm, I'm going to leave it open for anybody to share with whatever they've got on their mind, on their heart. 